we're going to get the recording going, and I think Mike's going to hook me up to the PowerPoint here. But while we're doing that, let's open our Bibles, uh, James chapter 1. I still want to... Yes, I do. You got an HDMI cable for me? We can back this thing up for you as much as you... There we go. should work. We can get that going. Well, we've done it before, Mike, and so um, might not work for us. All right, let's open up to James chapter 1, and I just want to read through verses 13 through 18. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So I had some nice PowerPoint slides this morning for you, but we're going we're gonna to just go past that. Looks like we can't get things hooked up today. One of the pictures I kind of want to show you, you may have seen this in the newspaper uh, this last week. So there's lots of... Husker news, it's kind of exciting. Uh, mostly it's the basketball, right? I mean, the basketball team hadn't beat the number one seed since 1982. I remember that. That's how old I am. So that was exciting. But let me tell you something that was more, more exciting for me was an article that appeared this last weekend. It was about two linebackers, Luke Reimer, Nick Heinrich. And the two guys, really good linebackers for the Huskers over the last few years. This is all detailed in the Lincoln Journal Star. And the the title of the article was this, Baptism by Fire, Then Water. Linebackers Nick Heinrich and Luke Reimer saw it all at Nebraska. So I had a nice picture of those guys getting baptized, and it was in the pool, the training pool last year, as actually Luke that had the opportunity to lead Nick to the Lord about a year and a half ago, and then actually had the opportunity to baptize him. So it's fantastic, the Lincoln Journal Star. It's amazing they would actually write this article. But here's why I'm sharing it. A lot of the story, and you can find this online, is about how both linebackers, both guys, were tested time and time again as athletes. I mean, the list of injuries that both Luke and Nick had, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's surgery after surgery after surgery. But both guys said this, that even though it had been tough, they felt like it was all worth it. And what I would argue is I got to know both guys because they went out with Coach Brown and myself on a lot of 
Pass It On camps the last two years. And in fact, we had them here in Central City last year. And so I actually had a picture of the, the Mankin kids with all the players we brought. Can't see it, sorry. But it's kind of a cool picture. No, these two guys were right here. I remember about that time, both guys really felt like there was this tremendous test for their health. Would they be healthy enough? I remember Luke talked to me about should he transfer. Been a, just been a hard-fought battle. He had one year to go, got a new coach. He was thinking about should I go to K-State? Just really fighting through what kind of decisions should I make? Why should I make it? You could see both guys really being tested. But both guys, as you read the article, you can see they did not allow the testing to turn into temptation. And so last week, Mr. Zanger would have talked about the testing of a believer. And properly tested, as the believer passes the test, they become more mature in their faith and they grow in their faith. But if that test is failed and becomes a temptation, at least, to sin and death. And so it was an encouraging article to me because <clears throat> had, had Luke left, had he transferred, uh, he wouldn't have had the opportunity to not only begin to take his teammate Nick to church and help lead him to the Lord and then later be a part of his baptism. None of that would have happened. So I think both guys can look back now. But again, the testing's not ever done. In fact, uh, Nick had an injury this season that shut his career down. In fact, he had another year he could play, and because of the injury, he retired from college football. He came and played one more year. On the other hand, Luke's going to have an opportunity to maybe go on to the NFL. So again, there's always this testing that's going on, and this is what we're going to see in James as we kind of fly through this this morning. The first thing we hit, if you want to make some notes of this, because you, you won't be able to see the slides, the source of sinful temptation. So if you just want to make that note, this is one of the, there's two kind of big headers here this morning. And the first one is, what's the source of sinful temptation? And this would be James chapter 1. It's verses 13 through 16. So we're going we're to cover part of this right now. And I want you to begin to see that temptation is something we all deal with. Um, so I was a child of the 60s. I remember there was a comedian. His name was Flip Wilson. He's very popular. And he had this phrase, it was a catchphrase. It was, the devil made me do it. So those of you with gray hair or a little older, you remember that. And everybody's talking about, yeah, the devil made me do it. Very popular. And it was a way in the culture of saying, not my fault, the devil made me do it. And what we're going to see in today's study is, it's not the devil. He may be part of the process, but it's not the devil. It's not God. It's us. It's us that are the problem. So I was thinking about that. Um, let's look at verse 13 again. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So you note you can make there is, it doesn't come from God. So the temptation that you feel, you see, you sense, it's not from God. And there's two basic reasons. One is God is holy. He's holy. He's perfect. And the second one is Scripture teaches us that God never tempts us, never tempts us. I mean, all you got to do is go back to Genesis chapter 3 and 
you, you see our problem, and it's a problem that's gone on for ages, which is when, when Adam is in the garden, and he's sinned, and he's taken the fruit, and most of the time we don't directly blame God. So most of the time when you're tempted and you fall into sin, you don't go, the, de- the devil made me do it, or God made me directly do it. Usually it's indirect. And so if you think back to Genesis 3, I mean, Adam's response is, yeah, but you, you gave me the woman. Like, God, you're not directly responsible, but you gave me the woman. She lured me into this. So indirectly, I'm going to blame God, but you can't do that. You remember Eve's response was, okay, well, I'm going to point the finger somewhere else too because I'm going to say the serpent had something to do with this. Again, that's just the way we are as human nature. We think about this, but it's clear what James is saying is this doesn't come from God. Let's look at verse 14. Here's where it comes from. You can make this note. It's simply, it comes from within man. It comes from within man. Verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So that's 14 and 15. And if you want to highlight two words that are helpful there, first word is lured. The word lured comes from this idea of trapping an animal. So this is kind of, if you go back in the Greek and understand where this word comes from, it's that idea of an animal that is, is baited and trapped. So maybe you go bait a raccoon or a deer or whatever. It's the idea that that sort of a thing. And then the other word, enticed, comes from the fishing world, which is the idea of a bait. So you're fishing and you throw out your, your line and you've got a bait on the end and it entices the fish to bite down. So this is the idea that there's a temptation out there, but it's coming from within, but you need to be careful that there are these temptations that are out there. But here's the big thing. There's a process here that it says in verse 15. So this doesn't just happen instantaneously. There's always this process when you're being tempted that happens where you see something, you feel something, and then pretty soon, you allow that what you see, you don't walk away from, you don't flee. So think about uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Remember what he did back in Genesis, like he fled from her when he was tempted by her. He, He got out. He didn't stay. He didn't allow that temptation to turn into sin. Let me give you an illustration of this. I, I think this will help a little bit for you to understand what I'm talking about here. This happened at least some 10 years ago. I was downtown at a restaurant here in Central City with my family, walked out, and a friend of mine just happened to be driving through Central City. It just, it seemed random, but as I look back, it's not, nothing's random. Everything's within God's providence. But he pulled over, he saw I was coming out of the restaurant, he said, hey, let your family kind of get in the car. I just got something I want to ask you just real quick. And I said, sure, you bet. I said, what, what's going on? He says, well, you know, I'm on that FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, speaker list. And I said, yeah, there's a list that we had coaches, uh, we had pastors, we had former athletes on, just a number of different people. So like an FCA huddle could call and say, hey, would you like to come be a speaker? And I said, so, okay, so you, you, you can't be on it anymore. And he said, yeah, take me off. I said, what's happening? You're getting real busy. And he said, 
No, it's not that. He says, you're going to hear about it because it's all going to be public real soon. But I have cheated on my wife. I've been hanging around college bars. I've been doing lots of things I shouldn't do. Kind of went into some detail, and I just was shocked. I was shocked. I mean, here's a guy that I knew in college, gone to Bible studies with. I'm just like, what is happening? And I was like, well, that's nice. You don't want to hurt me because I'm involved in SCA. But I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, what is going on? And he explained a little more. And then I finally said, I said, you do get that what's going to happen is you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your family, your wife, and your kids, that relationship, at least for, for a time, you're probably going to lose it. And you're, you're just going to lose career. You're just going to lose, seems like you're going to lose everything. And he just looked at me and said, probably right. And I said, well, why don't you stop it? Stop it. And I tried to really explain to him, like, this looks good, but don't go down this road. Why would you do this? And now, to this point, I probably had confronted friends in the past about, you know, when they were doing something wrong or sin. Most of the time, guys would just kind of fudge or lie, and they'll probably say, yeah, I'll do better, or I'll straighten that out, or whatever. And he just looked at me and said, you're probably right, and I'm probably going off the cliff, and it's going to be a disaster, but it's what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. And at that point, I was like, I got no other answers. Like, he saw he was going off the cliff, and I thought it was that desire, that desire was driving him, that temptation to turn to sin, and it was coming from within. It wasn't God, couldn't blame Satan or the devil. It was a desire that he strongly had. And what was crazy to me is he could see it coming. He knew this was disaster. And in fact, everything I warned him would happen, happened. And he lost, he lost all of it, all of that. And it made me really sad, but I thought of this too. I thought, sin makes us all stupid. <laughs> I remember walking away just going, I cannot believe I heard that. But he was at least honest enough with me just to say, this is what I desire, this is what I want, and this is what I'm going to do. And this is where you see when this desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, he's, you know, James is using this analogy of, of a birth, and it's kind of like when you're having a baby. There's a point at which the baby's coming out, and if you spend enough time being tempted and thinking about the sin, it's going to lead to death or sin. Uh, look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, But do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That's why I was trying to tell my friend is, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. This, this looks good for the moment, but it's disaster. And it was amazing to me that he could see it and he still wanted to do it. But oftentimes, you may be in a position where you kind of go, you know what, this doesn't look that bad. I can go look at this pornography or I can go do this thing. You know, it's kind of harmless. Maybe it won't lead to anything. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And this is, this is what James is telling his Christian brothers don't be deceived. Don't think there's something better over there, that temptation. Don't think that. 
So here's the second kind of header or part to this. So, you know, part two is this, the remedy for sinful temptation. So there, there is a remedy to this, and it's in verse 17 and 18. So the temptation's out there. There's from within yourself, there's that desire to want to do something. You cannot blame God. You cannot blame Satan. Verse 17 and I would, I would put this, this is, the, the header here is, it's the source of good gifts. So what's the source of good gifts? It's in verse 17. Verse 17 says, every good gift, every perfect gift, it's from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's saying, there, you, you, there is a God. He doesn't change. He's changeless. Those good gifts come from Him. And it's just like the appeal I was trying to make to my friend is, you got, you got a wife. It's a good Christian lady. You got great kids. You got a job that most people would die to have that job, that career, those opportunities. You got it all right here. And you got the most important thing of all. You you got the gospel. You've got, you you got it all. Why would you? Why would you be fooled by this? You, you've got this all right in front of you. And just like here at Nebraska Christian School, you all got to have a great opportunity to grow in your faith. And sometimes over the years I've seen apathy or I've seen people kind of go, well, what's the big deal? Who cares? What's it matter? And sometimes I'll see graduates leave and look back 10 years later and go, wow, I was really fortunate. I wish I had taken advantage of a lot more opportunities. There was so much that was there. So the source of the good gifts in life, it's God. But here's the greatest gift. And maybe just one word you want to write down for this greatest gift in verse 18 is the word regeneration. Verse 18 says, Of his own will be brought forth the word of truth that we should be kind of the first fruits of his creatures. So a couple things, a uh, word of truth, uh, that's used elsewhere uh, in, in, in the, uh, the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses that term five times. And so the word of truth is really directly towards the gospel and the good news of Jesus and that he died on the cross for our sin and that we can repent and have eternal life. But this interesting thing on first fruits, and I want to give you this quote, Maybe you can write down a few words from it, but first fruits might be something you look at and go, I don't understand, what is that? This is directly from uh, a John MacArthur commentary. Uh, maybe just pick out a few words if you find this helpful, so listen real closely. In his commentary, he says, first fruits, originally an Old Testament expression. It referred to the first and best harvest crops. Giving God that initial crop was an act of faith. It would fulfill his promise of a full harvest to come. In the same way, Christians are the first evidence of God's new creation that is to come and enjoy presently in their new life a foretaste of future glory. So again, that hopefully that's a little bit helpful because you see that show up in the Old Testament. First fruits, that's kind of what you bring in. That's a way of worshiping God. It's your best fruit. And in a sense, what we're seeing here is we, we are that to God. Let me sum all this up. There's a professor named Homer Kent, and I, and I love the way he summarizes this section. He says this, 
there's a remedy for sinful temptation. We must not excuse ourselves and put blame somewhere else. Rather, we must recognize our sin-prone heart that we must heed God's word of truth in the gospel. By this means, we will bring forth into new life where sin does not rule unbridled and where glorious life, not death, is the prospect. That's just a really good way. I wanted to read that because I couldn't say it any better than that. Uh, I just really appreciated that summary of this section. I want to get real practical in the time we've got left. There uh, was a book that Jerry Bridges wrote that I really appreciated, Respectable Sins. I know some of the faculty have read the book. Uh, this is a book entitled Respect, Respectable Sins. It's Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. And here's what Bridges' point of this book is, and you're going to see how it ties into the, we're talking about sin and temptation in just a minute. Jerry Bridges says this, It's not enough to agree that we tolerate at least some sin. Anyone except the most self-righteous person can acknowledge that. After all, no one's perfect. But to honestly face those sins is another matter. We can no longer continue to ignore them as we have in the past. And the sins he's talking about are those sins that we kind of go, well, that's kind of a respectable sin. So when you hear me talk about my friend and you hear, well, there's adultery, there's probably drunkenism, you know, you go, well, those are, those are really bad sins. And I'm sitting here, a Nebraska Christian, and I'm just glad I, I didn't do any of those things. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't steal anything. Bridges' point in respectable sins is too oftentimes as believers, there are a lot of things we tolerate that we don't want to call sin. Let me give you the list. These are just some chapters he talks about in his book. Anxiety, see if any of these fit you. Anxiety, frustration, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience, anger. Any of those hit you? I bet they do. And so oftentimes we go, well, you know, I'm a little anxious. I worry a little bit. It's okay, right? That's not sinful. So here, here's how you can think about even, let's say, worry and anxiety. There is a, a righteous concern on one side, which is, come on, like, don't touch a hot stove, right? So you can be concerned about something in the future and rightfully concerned, but there's a point that you go over the other side and you become sinfully anxious and you have anxiety and worry. And sometimes we don't want to acknowledge that's just sinful, it's sinful. Uh, there's a number of athletes I work with, and so oftentimes this, this is one of the sins they, they face, but they don't want to call it a sin. They get so anxious, so worked up, so worried that, say, in their sport, if they're a special teams football player and they're a kicker or a punter, that they worry so much about, can I get to the NFL? Uh, what if I shank a punt? Am I, am I going to make it? What is everybody going to think about me? And you can kind of go, well, that's that's not a big deal, right? We all, we all worry, right? But there's a point at which it's sin, and we've got to talk and deal with it, confess it, get it on the table and go, I, I don't have to be, I don't have to be, have all this anxiety and worry that leads to sinfulness. Because it, what it does is it, it paralyzes us. So that whole list, let me give it to you again. I want you to think about this, maybe in terms of those of you who do sports. Anxiety, frustration, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, 
selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience, anger. Here's what John Piper says, a pastor. He says, Christ has made you in his own. That changes everything about how you run the race. Now, he meant the race spiritually in life, but let's just take a moment and think about, I'm going to give you an illustration for those of you who do sports and athletics. I remember years ago here at Nebraska Christian, I had a mom say to me, she said, Gordon, uh, I don't even know if all my kids to do sports. What, what value, what good is it for a Christian to do sports? And one of my answers was, it's a great laboratory because all that list I just gave you, anxiety, frustration, anger, you're in a laboratory and there's a moment where you're tested. You're tested. Your faith is tested. And that's not a bad thing because God, remember, God uses that test to build your faith. And so I remember telling her, I said, I, I think sports can be a great avenue for it. It can reveal things in us that can mature us. So one of the last years <clears throat> I was coaching girls, this is what I wanted to share with you. I think some of you will relate to this as athletes. And at the time, last game of the year was Shelby. Some of the adults here will probably remember this. And they had some big, strong girls. I mean, you kind of walked out on the court and you're just like, wow, man, they're going to just knock us around. So again, fear, anxiety, can we do it? I don't know. All these things can be going on. I think they, they whooped us that night. I think it was a Thursday night, probably by 22 points. I mean, it was just a, they just blew us out, just knocked us around. I coached poorly. Players played poorly. They played with fear and anxiety and all these things. And I had a, a friend sent me the next morning an article from a book on toughness from a former uh, basketball player. And part of this article he had shared with a, with a girls' basketball team that he thought was helpful because the team didn't understand what toughness was. And this guy kind of defines it in his book. And so being tough is blocking out hard. Being tough is not being fearful. Being tough is... When you miss a shot, you don't shake your head and point at the refs or do any of that kind of stuff. And as I was reading the article, I thought, you know, that's really good. Because I don't know. I think our problem was mentally, you know, we, we weren't tough. We played with anxiety and fear and all these kind of things. And so I just remember I read the article before that Friday practice, and we just kind of went around. And basically, we almost had a time of just confession of, you know, hey, I... I was not focused. You know, one girl said, I was sort of, you know, looking around and shaking my head. My mom even said, what are you doing that for? And she says, well, I missed the shot. Well, stop it. Uh, another girl said, I was just really worried that, you know, we're just, we just, they were, they were just so big. They're so powerful. And so we went through all of that and just had a moment of, what do we have to fear? We got nothing to fear. And so it was a moment of just confessing, really, uh, is these, these I, I would say these respectable sins. And we had a good practice. We had that same team, Shelby. It was either Monday or Tuesday. So we had to turn around in just a couple days and play the same exact team. And I would say there was nobody sitting in the game as we were warming up that thought, because we just got walloped by 20-some points, that we could possibly even stay in this game. You know, it's one of those moments like, oh, this is going to be tough. What happened is we actually not only beat Shelby, but I think we beat him by 14 or 15, which is a crazy uh, from just a few days later. So, so what changed? 
What changed? The Bible says, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Now, it doesn't mean that we're magical and just things happen because we think it, but it does mean this. The things you think on affect your behavior. And so if you're consistently thinking about, oh, I need the ball, or, you know, if I don't get this, I'm really worried. If you're you're thinking the wrong thoughts, it's going to affect your behavior. That's all that changed in those few days was dealing with some things, anxiousness and sin. Now, here's the uh, verse I want to give you. If you have a Bible, you can look this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Because I know this morning you can feel a little bit like, okay, I get it. There's testing. There's temptation. James talking about this. Uh, I know I, I can't blame God. I can't blame Satan. It's this desire from within. I can be tempted. Uh, I look around me and I see lots of times people do fall to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse you probably want to write somewhere and keep with you for your whole life. This is what it says. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. So that first part is, there isn't anything unique. These These are common temptations. And then it says, But God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it so there is there is no temptation that's uncommon so you may whether it's sports or anything else you may feel like hey uh, i'm angry you can't blame your anger on god you can't blame your anger on the referee you can't do it the desire may come out that, hey, I, I'm mad because that didn't go the way I wanted it. But if you reach out to God, God can help. I'd also say just as a practical means for friendships, if you've got a close friend, they can help hold you accountable. Again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. My friend that time that I mentioned here in Central City, he didn't want to listen to me. But I would say when I see a Luke Reimer, a Nick Heinrich, and I see two buddies together, two linebackers together, they're able to encourage each other, and that's a positive too. But again, God is the, God is the factor here we need to keep in mind. Hope that makes sense to you today. Hope that it can be practical to help you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning as we think about the James and we think about really just how James starts with As believers, there are tests. We're thankful that because of the gospel, because of what you've done for us, the relationship you've given us, and all these good gifts, most of all the gift of the gospel, there is nothing, nothing that others have not faced before us that are believers. These are common things, but we can lean on you. You will give us that way, that out, that way of escape. If we don't let these desires turn into temptation that leads to sin and death. So I do pray for all the students this morning that they will take to heart really the message James has, that the the source is not God. The source comes from within. And we need to curb our appetites. We need to be careful when the lures, the temptations, they're out there. They'll be out there. But that doesn't mean we give in to those things. 
Help us not be sinfully stupid, but to desire what you want for us. We thank you for your gospel this morning and for this time you've given us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.